listening to The 10 Podcast, the discovery and design channel in health. Tune in with me, your host Matt Patterson, to learn about insights from the world of healthcare today. Morning, everybody listening in on the podcast today. Uh, today, it's really good to have Tim Lightfoot here with us today from Kessler to tell us about his experience of designing in the space of PPE. We've been talking about a lot about this in the last week or two, uh, and to get a different perspective on some different kind of products that are out there and some different challenges that are there in the market. Good morning, Tim. How are you today? Morning. Good, good, yes. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, it'd be really good if you could just introduce a bit about yourself and Kessler's and the background so our audience can find out a bit about you. Right, so um, I'm a um, manufacturing and supply chain interim uh, on assignment with Kessler's at the moment. Um, Kessler's is a, uh, um, a business that works in the retail uh, arena and uh, we supply solutions to the likes of L'Oreal, Sainsbury's, for displaying um, point-of-sale uh, items. Th- those sorts of stands you might see when you walk into Debenhams that have got a perfume in with a little acrylic container around it and a, a nice pretty picture of Cape Blanchard by the side of it. That's what we make. Right, so the things you'd see in Boots or somewhere you'd look at them, they'd be, they'd be holding products, but they'd be the kind of infrastructure that holds the products to show you before you pick end of, uh, point-of-sale pieces, yeah? Yes, exactly that. And how did you get into, so how did that weave into Kessler's involvement in sort of helping on the COVID-19 challenge? So uh, I had the tweet that uh, Emily Makeless um, uh, shared, Emily Makeless, the, the Newsnight, BBC Newsnight presenter, um, and she shared a tweet on the 23rd of March uh, requesting if um, anybody knew of manufacturers of what was deemed at the time an aerosol box. Right. And it was um, something that had been developed in Taiwan by, um, I believe, a doctor, Lei Hassan Young. And his idea has been put into uh, the design arena as a solution for helping anaesthetists in the uh, prevention of aerosol spray. And what was his idea? His idea uh, was to make an acrylic box and put that box around the individual and be able to perform uh, any intubations or extubations. Um, the intubation being the preparation for the process of putting the patient onto a ventilator, and the extubation is the, the removal of that process. And he put he created this box as a as a, as a simple solution where PPE was hard to come by. And the acrylic box just being a, a large transparent box that goes around the patient's sort of head or neck or how, what what might it look like? Yeah, so literally that, it's, um, I would say, about 60 centimetres, yeah, about 60 to 80 centimetres square box. It's as simple as... Yeah, what do you do with the box? Yeah, and and what do you do with the box, and then how did you get involved in that? So they use a box just really as a barrier. How did I get involved? So initially, um, I had this tweet shared with me and could see straight away, we make acrylic boxes, as I mentioned earlier, for putting perfume in. We, yeah. we could make an acrylic box. 
so our initial design was really just to take the that concept and manufacture to make it for manufacture. So we worked with a hospital uh, up in the north, and we designed something uh, on the 24th of March, I think it was, in the evening. We started right. at six o'clock in the evening, and by ten o'clock we got a design. Unfortunately, the next day when the clinical director took it to the to work, it was rejected. So why so? They they gave a, a, a list of reasons to temperature structure of the box it, it got kicked into long breaths so being a tenacious individual um i knew i knew because i could see so many people sharing this box on uh, uh, the, the internet linkedin i knew that there was uh, potential for something to happen so um i shared it with uh, the um, coventry growth hub coventry warwickshire growth hub with a contact i've got there jim clark and Jim uh, shared my idea into the sort of network of people looking at PPE. And I got in contact with a gentleman called Matt Campbell Hill. And he's a uh, senior fellow of uh, clinical sciences at Birmingham University. And he was leading a team already to make a soft aerosol box. Okay. But he put me in contact with another team that was uh, working on a, a hard aerosol box i.e taking the, the concept we'd seen in uh, taiwan and taking that through to uh, be a practical solution so he put me in contact with two gentlemen uh, ej de silva and dr ej de silva and dr chandra biamazetti at the uh, royal orthopedic hospital in birmingham yes and basically from there we kicked off and started developing a solution how, are these reusable? These boxes are they cleanable? Are they single use? How, how, how do they? What, 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 what are you left with? We've designed it as a single use. Yes. And what Dr. Chandra's concept, which was different to the Taiwanese, was could we make it um, single use, collapsible, low cost, and make it into a negative pressure chamber? Reason why it's negative pressure is to make sure that the aerosol spray that comes from the patient's orifices doesn't get into contact with the um, clinicians, with the healthcare workers. Me being from a manufacturing background, done a lot of sort of things with what you call uh, risk assessments in the workplace. And if you look at on a risk assessment, there's a thing called the um, hierarchy of hazard control. And when you look at that, the last thing you do is give people PPE, because that's the last line of defense. And when you look at the hierarchy of hazard control, the first thing is eliminate the issue. But as you go down that, uh, that triangle, uh, it, you come to one called engineering controls. So when I saw this concept that was in Taiwan, and I saw or talked with Dr. Chandra about his ideas, I could see this was an engineering, basically, it was going up the pyramid as an engineering control. It doesn't mean that the healthcare worker doesn't wear PP, they still wear PP, but what we've done, we've designed a box that's low cost, that's single piece. So basically you have, it's a five-sided box that you put your head into. Yes. The patient puts her head into. It, it folds out from a flat pack design and we've incorporated basically double-sided tape and solutions like that to enable a blanket to be put over the torso of the body of the individual. And we've put in uh, hand portholes in the side so the clinicians can actually perform the process without actually having been in contact with the individual 
through any sort of environmental. So they can still touch and feel the person and deal with them, but they're, they're, they're effectively the person's in a, a dust cabinet. So think back to when you're at chemistry at school, you know, you've got those sort of dust cabinets. We, we're putting the, in the, the person suffering with COVID-19 in a dust cabinet with oxygen and air. And, you know, I'm, I'm no medic, so I, I can't quote on. But, uh, you know, the doctors have shown, you know, they've basically been worked as we've worked with them to create a design yes. that can be used for uh, CPR. It can be used for uh, the intubation and extubation. And it's working in conjunction with you know, the, the fifth to 95th percentile of human inter interaction. So, okay, a very small or very tall person may struggle to use the hand port holes, but it works for the majority of the population. So there's quite a few things in there. So I've seen a picture of this. And one is that we've talked about PPE to anaesthetists before, say, and to critical care consultants. And they said it's really, really high risk when you're intubating because that's when you've got high viral load of the patients, a lot of virus around, and then it's going to aerosol quite quickly. So you've also got ventilators around at that time. So what this does is you go higher up the ladder in relation to that before, you, of course, you need PPE still, but it's another intervention that stops you, another barrier that stops you getting into a problem where this uh, viral load is aerosoled and sprayed around. And it's like a box that goes around the head. I think a bit Paul Daniels either way. There's like a magic box and you come in from one side. It's fully transparent and you do the intubation in relation to that. Have they found, because I imagine that's quite a different experience for the doctors putting their hands into this acrylic box. Have they found the, intub uh, the intubation piece and how, what feedback have you had about that in terms of actual practicality? At the moment, I'm just getting um, positive feedback. So I know it's on trial in Birmingham. It's uh, destined for trial in Warwick and Coventry. What we're trying to do is engage other NHS trusts. So one of the, one of the real difficulties that small players like ourselves have is that we don't have a big PR machine. So your Dysons, your McLarens, your JCBs, Burberrys, they're rolling out their PR machines and they're going full throttle getting them news articles in the press, in the media, and being seen as the, the solution provider. Yes. What I'm seeing from my interactions with uh, the doctors is they're good ideas, but they're not fully thought, thought through. So there is a box at the moment that's been put out in the marketplace, and you can already see things that the clinicians don't like. From yes. my experience, nuts and bolts capture COVID-19. Right. Our design doesn't have any nuts and bolts. Hand portholes that don't work in relationship to the actual process. The fact that some of these units can't, you can't do um, heart massage. So you can't, there's insufficient access. Because we've worked with the, with the anaesthetists, they're saying, Tim, can you make this 100 mil higher? And I'm just going, yeah, no problems. And we've literally had the designer on FaceTime, my designer at my end in, uh, in London, basically just walking through all of the design ideas, taking copious notes. This has been going on until like the early hours of the morning. So we, we started on, like I say, the, uh, the Tuesday, Wednesday, the Tuesday, and by the Saturday night, we had it fully designed, detailed drawings, and we had all of the uh, CAD cams, all of the NC programs done for cutting. I had those finished at 12.30. By, so by Sunday morning, last Sunday morning, we got it launched into manufacture. Are there any barriers with the manufacturing? So two things. One is, so you're doing this rapid, rapid iterative looping of working with clinicians to do the right fit, the right product, the right specification, learning where learning and make it the moving towards the ideal product. Yeah. 
tell us about the barriers that you're seeing. And we say there's a, def- there's a barrier in relation to everyone hears of the Rolls Royces, the McLarens, the Burberries, and their PR machines about getting it out there. And I talked to lots of people like yourself who are doing all these innovative designs that are coming in that are helping people, are often going to a specific trust and, and building them, but not having this large production scale machine to get them out there. Are there any hurdles that have been put into place, do you think, by the government or by general access that are stopping you getting out there? Or do you think it's a PR thing alone? I think the government have got themselves overwhelmed. So there's a website. So 50, I've basically gone on LinkedIn and looked to connect with uh, the uh, procurement directors at various NHS trusts. And almost 50% come with one answer and 50% do another answer. One answer is log on to this website, log your details, they'll get back to you. Now, I've been told that they've had 20,000 vendors and are still sifting through that. I logged on, did all of that last Friday. Yes. And I've literally had one email of uh, Crown Services, which I've answered straight away and nothing. It just, it's, a, it's like talking to a brick wall. The other 50% of the, the procurement directors that I've been talking to come back and say, tell us more so they're sort of working outside of the system yes. and wanting to build relationships and we're building relationships off either su- su- uh, solving their supply chain issues so things completely not to do with the box yes. but at least gaining credibility by either sorting out face so we're making face masks for example so we've yes. got face masks we're added, we're having them mhr all approved so we're already uh, putting those into uh, relative into trusts and not gone through any of the government channels, just basically I've built a relationship up with the procurement director and yes. he's then given us credibility. It, we've built, built, built credibility by delivering him product and he's seeing that product, yes. which then enables you to open the door of, do you want to look at the uh, disposable aerosol barrier? And that's one of the ways we're sort of getting into the NHS because we're not an NHS provider. We don't exist on any of the, uh, any of the databases. We're people in the retail sector. We make sneeze screens, social distancing measures. We put floor graphics into Tesco's and Sainsbury's. We're putting checkout dividers in. You know, that's what we currently do as a business. We're meeting our customers' needs. But we know, from a moral point of view, there's a bigger NHS demand for for, uh, people like us to supply solutions. And it's interesting with, with, with that, we're on those procurement teams, last night, I think it was Matt Hancock last night on the daily announcement, was lauding the procurement people who often don't get the credit. And so actually, so 50% are saying go down, your experience going down one route, which is fill in the form. And the other yeah. 50% are going, let's call it off-label-esque at the moment, going, we've got a problem, we've got to solve a problem, we've got to look more more broadly at ways we can solve that problem. And so what would... Within the 50%, so let's go down the first trap, which is within the 50% who you're dealing with, not the current government process, what would make that easier, better? What, what would help you with those guys who are already trying to be innovative or doing different approaches? What would help, help you and them? Really just them understanding their demand cycle. So even though they're buyers, they, I'm in manufacturing, so I, all I talk, think about is demand, the demand cycle. Okay, what's the demand cycle? So the demand cycle is you've got a, a, a need and how much you need. So you need a piece of PPE. And I'm actually having to talk to some of the um, procurement directors and saying, 
how many nurses have you got or how many healthcare workers have you got how many shifts have you got how many wards have you got how many if it's single use how many you know how many times are you going to use that piece of equipment and i'm writing out the maths for them to calculate the demand and then you can see that you, you can see it on their faces when you're explaining to them again oh geez i need a hundred thousand of these yeah. things that it's it's because they don't i think they've just bought to stock whereas point makes the demand i think that's probably a behavioral thing within the nhs so they just buy to a, what i call to, to a two-pin system so they've got 100 in the stock as soon as it gets down to 50 they buy some more so they've got central supply, they fill it up, they've got central supplies, they fill them up. When they get to a certain stock par level, they just reorder and they get delivered yes. in again. Yeah. yeah. We're, in a di we're in a different thing now. We're, we are basically being governed by the population that's infected. So we need to look at the demand cycle, i.e. if there's you know, 10,000 people infected in your ward or, or your trust, you know, how many people are going to be needing to be ventilated, therefore working back to the actual calculation of the numbers of what is a demand cycle. And that's what manufacturing people are used to, but I don't think the NHS are. How well, can, not the people I'm talking to anyway. How can the manufacturing guys like yourself who are used to that then give, A, give them the support in what well, you are doing that at the moment, but how can, how can that be better systemised for, for the NHS so you don't have to do that time and time again for every trust you talk to, which I guess is quite time consuming. How might, how might we have a bit of a magic wand there? How might we improve that ordering process or awareness process from them in terms of demand? I think the politician's message is blurring part of the issue. So they are quoting millions of this and thousands of that. I think Matt Hancock said last night, 150,000 of something. I can't even remember what the item was. He's quoting a number that wows the population. And people like myself who are looking at the actual hard facts are going, all right, so he's, he's sorted out about 30 minutes worth of supply there because there's so much population. It's, it's, and I think because the politicians are trying to say we're sort, sorting the issue and the actual uh, buyers are therefore getting blurred, uh, they're getting a mixed message from the government because they're saying, oh, we don't need so much because we've got hundreds of thousands or millions coming. Mm. I, 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 I can only assume, I'm, I'm assuming so much there, but yeah. it, it, I think you're getting mixed messages. Government saying one thing to the public when the reality is is you need to look at the you know the, the population the affected population and then what's needed by help the healthcare workers for that affected population. Is there a way that you as a manufacturer without this big PR arm can get together with other manufacturers without big PR arms and be a I'll use the word cooperative might not be the right word but have have more power and weight to be able to show the way you can provide because I get I get the feeling from other people I talk to general the general culture of we're in this together we can all manufacture together we can all supply together it doesn't feel like we've kind of got that working so I, I've stretched out my hand um, for collaboration with um, manufacturing technology center for example in Coventry just firmly refused my uh, acts um, to, to even engage. Whereas the guys I worked with, in, uh, um, Dr. Chandra, we just basically started a conversation and put solutions in place. We didn't put legal frameworks as a first engagement point and then just basically kicked into the long grass. And so it's be, I, I don't understand that. So this is going on for a while, right? This isn't going to end tomorrow or next week or whatever. PPE and things higher up the ladder from PPE, like the provision, the product you're talking about here, are going to be required probably for quite a long time and they're going to be required in lots of different settings by lots of different people doing lots of different things where might we be 
where what will good look like in if we came to that together and we're speaking in a month's time which in in the world as we have it at the moment is a, is a long time what would good look like in a month's time what, what, where would we what would we be talking about if if we made progress in that in four weeks i'd like to see that we've got some co um, common practices so we can get common solutions i'm i'm a bit bewildered by um this approach to say the face masks everybody seems to have a different design with a different solution um and we, we, the material utilization must be just terrible with them being made in classrooms at schools it just it you know manufacturers like ourselves pride ourselves on good uh, yield yield utilization of the sheet mm. so why aren't people wanting to engage with people like ourselves to me good would look like simple designs simple solutions that can be made in high volume so there's a translation bit there which is get people's goodwill and understanding and willingness to be makers connected to people who are professional makers to be making stuff and producing stuff and get tie those tie the political power that comes from a society that says we need this to people who are set up to manufacture say we do this yeah. yeah so that would be good so good would be demand to the people who can provide most and manufacture in the long run around your specifics with the chamber what would be what would good look like in a month's time good would to me would be to see that it's recognized as a viable solution and adopted and at national level understood that this can be just scaled up straight away I, i've been ready i've been ready i've been ready since monday basically of this week mm. you know so a week a week's elapsed and we're, we're 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 manufacturing one at the moment for every single hospital we have no demand off the government we're just making them ourselves to be able to, to issue them to the hospitals and that's my plan of attack now is to basically send send a send one in the post Yes. have a look at this and just send it to the leading consultant anaesthetist at each hospital how could we help those people then if you're getting your product to the anaesthetists in different hospitals and they want to have them what weapons what tools what support do they need to be able to then make influence to their procurement teams from the inside i don't know this is a good solution it's viable or yeah. feedback to us what needs changing on the solution and we'll and we'll quite happily change it um uh, and really just being able to sit on the panels that make the decisions on where purchase orders are placed and are you in a situation so tell us about the manufacturing capabilities you've got a design it's ready it's been it's been through an iteration of development what does production look like how what how many of these can you if you press the button go today how many of these could you be producing in in, in, in a week or in two weeks or thousands literally thousands and that, that's the demand cycle i see you know if you assume that uh, every death relates to somebody went on uh, a ventilator then they were intubated and extubated mm. so you know the sad fact of it is and i'll be i'll be straight with you i cried um in the car when i first left the first con contact with the doctor mm because I had to compose myself before I drove away because I took samples yes. and he's telling you what is really happening on the coalface. I, I, I couldn't drive away. Yes. I had to compose myself because the sad fact is if there's 10,000 deaths, then there's 10,000 people put, were put on uh, in, or could have been put onto a, a ventilator. Yeah. Lot. That's why I've scaled. That's why I've tried to go as simple as possible, as fast as possible, with the ability to make thousands because you can see that's a demand cycle 
it's chilling and on, equally on the other side of it when you can make a difference in that space it's exactly the opposite because it's so rewarding because you're like this is making a real impact to people's lives every day every minute everyone it goes anywhere near so i, I commend you on on your work um if i had a magic wand my magic wand says we can improve one thing for you what would it be awareness how do we get that awareness that a solution is viable and not just watching you know the the big the big uh, f1 teams and so forth uh, uh showboating effectively I, I know they've got to do it for their own their own needs and uh, their demand there's no demand for an f1 team whatsoever at the moment so if you can do something useful with that workforce yeah. they're changing their business model exactly the same as we've changed our business model mm. but some air, some air time for the smaller guys really in the room mm. would be my uh thing that i'd like to change with the magic wand great i mean hopefully this will get a little bit of that today and we'll get that other onto other people and it will get to some clinicians and they'll be able to talk about it too if people want to find out a bit more about your specific design and get in contact with you tim how would they do that as how they find me on linkedin tim lightfoot um and i work for kesslers um or they can go onto the kesslers.com website and we have a page for COVID 19 actions that we're doing with retailers and uh we've also put things that we're working on the nhs's trusts with as well there on that site brilliant um um thank you so much for coming on today uh it's really brilliant uh work i think something that i see coming out of this whole piece has just been the creativity of manufacturers and designers and developers across the country and their willingness to change and drop what they do to do something else to help people. And, and I think we need to, as a country, get our head and hands around that and, and make more of it. Um, yes, thank you. So, uh, so it's, it's great to have people like yourself coming on um, today to talk to us on the podcast. Thank you. That was Tim Lightfoot, really interesting conversation around manufacturing, PPE, demand and supply. If you'd like to come on the podcast, uh, please email hello at weare10.co.uk and uh, come on and talk to us about any areas in particular interest in relation to COVID-19 and the side effects of providing for, supplying for or experiencing life with uh, the challenges we're all living with today. Um, until next time, uh, have a great uh, rest of your week after the bank holiday uh, and speak to you all soon. Thanks.